TV. Edutainment to help you become emotionally whole, emotionally healed, and emotionally healthy. I'm Anita, your host, and in this episode, I talk to the good doctor about a growing epidemic in America. Bullying is more dangerous today than it has ever been. Some kids are bullied for years. It seems every week we're hearing a different case about a child or a teen committing suicide under the heavy weight of being bullied by their peers. Well, Dr. Julie Connor says America's got it all wrong. She has a different take on what we should do to address bullying. Here's what she has to say. Uh, one of the things that I really wanted to be was an uh, actress when I was going through high school. And it wasn't until I met my first boyfriend in a high school audition that when we had our first date he looked at me and he asked and uh, you know I've had people say to me before who says this on the first date but it happened to me and it was life-altering he said what what's your life purpose and I said I'm gonna be an actress on Broadway and he said but what gives your life meaning and up until that point, all I could think about was how the world could serve me. I never thought about how I could serve the world. And it was at that point that I thought, how can I take acting and do it in a way that has meaning and gives back to the world in a, in a, in a means of service? And that's where teaching and youth ministry came up. And I think I've been called back to that career path. I have the Baptist Church to thank for that. I have the Baptist Church to thank for many things. You know, I always tell teachers when I do teachers in services, if you want to learn how to do small group processes, you need to go two places and observe. One is any kindergarten classroom. I don't care what grade you teach. They are the masters at it. And then any Baptist small group setting because they know how to do small groups. And uh, so I, I think the more we explore uh, uh, different cultures, different backgrounds, different faith practices, uh, the more opportunities we have to be inclusive. I, when I read your piece on bullying, I found it very, very interesting. Were you speaking from a personal experience? Was it something you experienced in school growing up? Yes. Oh, absolutely. And uh, just like I spoke, I have a, on my website at www.drjuliecunner.com, I have a blog post called Hand Up Bullying. And in my personal experience, I thought something was wrong with me. And like so many bullying situations, oftentimes bullying starts not with uh, a, a particularly mean kid being abusive of a, a child that is more docile. Typically, bullying starts with people that are very good friends. And that was the case in my situation. And uh, a, a friend of mine who 
uh, was as we entered, she was my best friend from third grade on. And then when we got in the junior high, she was welcomed into the popular crowd and I became her target. And she would tell her other friends uh, to pick on me and call me names. And I think, and this is important, this is why I wrote the article, because I think a lot of programs that are out there now are anti-bullying programs that tell schools and children what to do after bullying has occurred. Yeah. And there are some things and tools we need to give young people that prevent bullying or that at least curb bullying before it happens in the first place. I, I thought something was wrong with me. I thought I was too ugly, too short, too fat, too dumb, uh, too, too everything, too everything bad. I thought I was bad. And there were two things going on in that, um, in that scenario. One was I had no skills how to defend myself with my peers. And I believe to a large degree, I had no tools to defend myself from very, very verbally abusive and physically abusive adults when I was growing up. And I remember one particular situation in my own history where there was physical and verbal abuse at all involved. And then when my parents would get home from work, this individual, this adult, would tell my parents all kinds of lies. And I grew up in a very strict Irish Catholic family. And the punishment to me for being bad, whatever bad was, was that I was sent to the darkness of a room where I had spent much of the day anyway when I was punished by this adult. And I was, the punishment to me was I was forbidden to talk. And so I had no means through which to express what was happening to me during the day because I was shut down as soon as the responsible adults came home. And so when bullying started in my school, I did the same thing. I shut down. I had no skills. And it wasn't until many, many years later when I was talking to a counselor and I said, why me? Why did they pick on me? And he leaned back in his desk and he said two things that were news to me and something that was empowering. It may sound cruel, but I found it healing. He looked at me and he said, Julie, because you took it. And then I realized because I took it, then if I was taking it before, then maybe there's something I can do now to not take it anymore. And I think that's where we, we have a responsibility to train it, particularly young people, about how to claim their own voice and, and stand their ground. What are some of those tools and techniques? Go ahead. What are some of those tools and techniques that you would recommend to have them stand their ground, to try and prevent bullying before it happens? Well, one of the things is, uh, uh, I, I call it act as if, you know, 12 step groups often talk about this, is I think it's important to, even if you feel afraid 
I think it's important to walk with confidence, to walk with your head up and to maintain a positive attitude. You know, I think bullies are actually, are many times, bullies have histories of being bullied. Bullies, bullies are cowards. Bullies typically target the ones that will be silent. You know, in my personal history with, um, you know, uh, I, th what happened to me growing up didn't happen to any of my other brothers and sisters. And, I, you know, once again, back to the words of the counselor, uh, I believe my brothers and sisters would have raised Holy Cain had that happened to me, happened to them. They came after me because I was silent. And so, um, and, and I cowered. And so I think it's important for young people to act with confidence. I think it's important for them to be, to be positive. I think it's important for them to respond, to walk away, to say, stop it, and then go somewhere else. You know, not be afraid to say, uh, stop it strongly. You know, oftentimes kids that are being bullied uh, will cower and uh, not say anything and act out in shame. And sometimes they'll even stay there and continue. They have a responsibility to get away. And that leads to the third tip. You know, they need to act with confidence. They need to be positive, but they also need to set appropriate boundaries. Kids that are bullied oftentimes don't think, don't have boundaries. Um, we spoke about going to Catholic schools, and, and two of the things that I learned very early on was if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything, anything at, all. at all. Yeah, and the other thing was turn the other cheek. You know, somebody's hitting you, somebody's being mean, if somebody's saying something unkind to you, turn the other cheek. Absolutely not. You don't stand there and take it. That is bad advice. You know, the, the, the thing, you know, even, even as simple as saying stop it and walking away or get out of my way, take charge of your space because, once again, a bully is looking for somebody who is weak. And if, if a child says stop it, and walks away, and walks away with their head up, they are less likely to be bullied again. Now, you talk, about, you talk about that you were quiet and cowardly as a child, and some of the experiences that you had that really reinforced that. What happens, and around what age did you actually find your voice? <laughs> um, uh, I found my voice when I was 48 years old, and I, as a child, I grew up being bullied, even when I went to college, and I was nominated for all kinds of leadership positions. I held leadership positions. President, and, of, the, president of the student government. Yeah, yeah, I did all of that. I had all kinds of awards, same when I went to graduate school, same when I started teaching, and but I didn't see myself in the same light that other people did. I continued to carry that voice of you're bad, you're no good, you're never going to amount to anything that I heard as a child. You know, the things that the bully said was just reinforcing everything I heard at home. And I, I moved away to the other side of the state to get away from those voices. 
But what I didn't realize is even though I packed my bags and moved away, I brought all those voices inside my own head. And it wasn't until I spoke to someone, you'll like this, I spoke to, <laughs> I went to talk to a doctor about a back, I was having back aches, okay. and he started talking to me about depression. Wow. And yeah, I know, he saw right through me, and I was very skeptical about talking about any of this because to me depression was a sign of weakness and I spoke to him uh, uh, about what I needed to do uh, further to get well. I, I asked him questions about why he thought that and he was mirroring back behaviors I had since I was a small child and so um, I knew I needed, by his questions, I needed to make some changes in my life, but I wasn't sure how. The trigger came for me was when I was in the Kansas City, Missouri School District, and there were some teachers who singled me out and were very mean. They said mean things to me. They said mean things to me in front of my students. They said mean things to about me to other teachers. And I don't remember what specifically happened, but I remember the last time it happened, the last time a teacher called me a name mm -hmm. in a group setting, and she was talking about information that was totally made up. It was fictitious. And I looked at her, and it was like the last straw. I was furious, and I looked at her, and I said, how do you know that? And she said, how do I know what? And I said, you're talking about me. I hear you saying this. This never happened. How do you know that? Where are you getting your information? Mm -hmm. And she looked at me and she backed down and she said, it was just a joke. And I said, it's a joke that's not funny. I want this to stop right now. And I walked away. I was livid. And it never happened, happened again. again. <laughs> Yes. Never happened again. And then I thought to myself, you know what? This finding your voice stuff is pretty cool. And I knew I had really stepped into my own territory was when I was talking to another teacher. And she was talking about feeling overwhelmed. And uh, she didn't know what to do. And I said something to her about, you know, and she, she looked at me and she said, you're so strong, Julie. And I said, but I always wasn't. And I said, I used to be a kitten. I did not know a principal was standing behind me. And he said, she used to be a kitten, but now she's a lioness. And I, I think once we're courageous enough to make our, to draw our first line in the sand. Children that are bullied, adults that are bullied are afraid that if they set a boundary that the bullying will get worse. And that is absolutely not true. The bullying will not stop 
until action takes place with the person who is being bullied. If you're waiting for somebody to step in and protect you, you will wait forever. If you're waiting for the bully to change their behavior, you will wait forever. It must always begin with the person who is being bullied first. And uh, go ahead. Is there something that parents can do? So we've looked at it from the student perspective, but if a parent finds out or knows that their child is currently being bullied, is there something that they can do to attempt to stop it from happening? Stop it from getting yes. worse? Yes. And parents with children who are bullied often deal with the same fears that the children who are being bullied experience. Parents are afraid if I confront the situation with the principal, it will even get worse with my child at school. Or they'll think, what will their peers, their adult friends think if they're saying something about this? So they tend to hope that the situation will work itself out and the child is out there defenseless. It is imperative that if a, teach, if a parent finds out their child is being bullied to contact the teacher, to contact the principal, uh, to talk with the child, um, not only to do those two things, but I think the most empowering thing is you talk talk to the child about some skills that we talked about, about set boundaries, about say stop in a loud, in a loud voice, say stop bullying me in a loud voice, and to get away from the situation. Um, we, we oftentimes teach children, if you're being bullied, ignore it. And that is absolutely the wrong message to send. If a parent is has a child that's being bullied, go back to the principal again. Do not allow a teacher or a parent to say, this is just a phase kids go through and to make excuses for the bullied child. Not going to stop until a child, and oftentimes a child with a parent, create a boundary that lets the bullied child and their family know this is not okay. Because it will only escalate if a parent doesn't take action. But it's also important to give that child some skills about what to say and how to say it. Because from the outside looking in, there have been a number of cases over the last year or two where students have taken their own lives as a result of bullying. And I read one, it was, it was shocking to me because the article stated that the young lady had been bullied since about fourth or fifth grade and she was now in high school. Yes, and, and that's it, the norm. But that, it's just, it's very hard to accept and it's very hard to believe that year after year, teacher after teacher, school after school, this same behavior gets to continue? Is it that our schools are not prepared? Are teachers not paying as much attention? What is the breakdown that is allowing this to perpetuate? I think there's several things that are involved. 
Um, there is such a focus on testing and reading instructional, meeting instructional goals that we're not focusing as we have in year past on developing relationships. And I think relationship skills must be taught. Communication skills must be taught. Setting appropriate boundaries must be taught. How we will and will not treat one another. And I think there needs to be appropriate boundaries. There must be appropriate consequences. When a child um, is bullying another child, if a child is calling names, that is not okay. That violates the rules of our class. It violates the rules of our skill skills. And this is what we're going to do. And it's got to be more than just send a child out of the classroom. We've got to have some intervention strategies in place that we equip a child who's being bullied as well. Because oftentimes children are important both for the bullied and the bullying. Um, but I, I agree with you that there's long histories of bullying and there are excuses made that this is something that all kids do. And I don't necessarily agree with that. I have found that much of the bullying that happens is often in a middle class and upper middle class schools. And oftentimes this is because bullying, it's hard to detect because it goes underground. Girls in particular are told outwardly to be nice and sugar and spice and to be kind, but they will gossip about one another relentlessly. And cyberbullying, online bullying has taken bullying to a whole new level. Uh, granted, the most, the most recent example I can think of of online bullying that has happened was during the Olympics in Gabby Douglas. She was, this is the 2012 uh, all-around gymnast, of the, uh, an Olympic champion in 2012 London Games, that when she came to the, uh, the games in Rio, yeah, yeah, she was bullied about her hair. She was bullied about putting her, not putting her hand over her heart, even though there were many, many, many athletes that stood with their hands at their sides during yes. the national anthem. I, she was bullied about not appearing supportive of her teammates, and it was relentless online. Some of that slowed down, thank Goodless for, for the, the comedian Leslie Jones from Saturday Night Live called everyone out on it on, on Twitter. And she used the hashtag, um, something like USA Dab, Gabby, uh, Love Gabby Douglas. And, and, and there was uh, scores and scores of people that that wrote their support of Gabby, but was the most important thing I think in all of that is Leslie Jones refused to be silent, and she called it out for what it was. This is bullying, and 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 called out to everyone to be accountable. And I think we need more of that. Uh, we need much more than just stopping the behavior after it happens. We need to empower kids before it happens. 
You mentioned the uh, Olympics and Gabby Douglas. Mm -hmm. What about the response that Gabby gave and where she really didn't give it any fanfare? She really didn't. I mean, there were a few interviews where she responded and said, you know, basically, I'm at work. Um, but should she have been more vocal? I'm thinking. Um, I think we witnessed a very proud young lady being gracious. And she was not about to invite others into her private pain. And she was not about to share her feelings with an audience she did not know. I personally think her actions were courageous. I hope, I suspect, because her mom came out and said some some things about, and that's another courageous act that took place, is her mother uh, uh, spoke out against the bullying that was taking place with Gabby. And so I, you know, I think the online bullying could have been much more severe had, had not her mother and others spoken out on her behalf. Um, I, I hope Gabby has a, a circle of friends and support that she could have shared her feelings with without being in a global audience. I do think, as I think about this, I think her response was appropriate. And, and you know, whatever pain she was experiencing personally, uh, I, I don't, I, th there was no place for a discussion of that in a global setting. Uh, I think I joined the, the Twitter uh, hashtag that was following. And I posted a comment like, I believe when her Olympic career is over, Gabby will be able to step into a new career as a spokesperson against bullying. So yeah, I think her I think her actions and words were appropriate because this didn't need to be handled on a global stage. It needed to be handled in the way I think she best saw fit. Now, she was at work. So let's look at, I'll talk about bullying for a second in the workplace. Okay. Whether it's from a supervisor or a coworker. What are some of the ways that an employee can handle bullying in the workplace? An employee, the person, which person? The person being bullied? Yes. I think very much in the same way that we deal with it with uh, with children. I think it's important. One of the things that I learned for, through my own experience uh, when I was being bullied by other teachers is it escalated when I chose. We think that taking the high road looks like silence, but that perpetuates it. When it didn't end, until I said something very direct, even as, even as short sentenced as this has to stop and it has to stop right now. And say it with a strong voice, say it with strong eye contact, 
and walk away, don't wait for a response. If it continues, tell your supervisor because it will continue to escalate. There's nothing wrong. There is no cowardice. There is no shame in not in, in, in refusing to tell in silence. Silence is what a bully wants. Now, what about what it is the supervisor? If the supervisor is the bully? Yes. I think the same rules apply because I've worked for employers and supervisors that were bullies and my response typically is very kind and very joyful. That's my personality. I'm optimistic and joyful and I can be an easy target. Uh, and. I did. There was a situation where I went into the supervisor and had to confront the situation. Um, and, but let me tell you, it needed, I needed a dress rehearsal first. I met with somebody who's a mentor of mine and I described the situation at work. Mm -hmm. And she said, well, why don't you come over and we'll practice? And I went over to her house and I said, you know, I'm really sorry, but, but, and she said, she held up her hand and she said, nope, you don't have to apologize. And I said, okay, um, if you please, I don't mind if we, and she said, nope, you don't have to beg. And I said, I looked at her and this is, this is part of being 48 years old at the time. I looked at her and said, I have absolutely no idea what to say. And she said, well, it's real easy. Say how, stay in, stay in I statements like we often hear, but she said, say what happened, say how you feel, say what you need. It's that simple. Say what happened, say what, how you felt about what happened, say what you need. Mm -hmm. And so I said, Miss Smith, in our last meeting, you called me out and corrected me in front of everyone when I was outlining in a plan that you designated me to complete for the group. You refused to listen to anything I had to say after that. You made a correction. You called me out about information and then you did not allow me to finish my report. I felt humiliated. I felt embarrassed. And I don't want that to happen again. In the future, if you if there is information in a report that I have given you and I gave you copies of this two days ago so that you could look it over before we went into the meeting, if you've got any questions about this, I would be grateful if you'd call me in personally and let's talk about it before the meeting begins and to discuss any of your questions outside of a meeting setting. Mm -hmm. Yes. yes. And I yes. said, you know, I kept it real simple. <laughs> I didn't cry and I've done that before. I didn't blow up. You're making me feel whatever. Well, no, she's not making me feel anything. I choose how I want to feel. And I, I didn't talk forever about the situation. I said what happened, 
said how I felt about it happened, and I told her what I needed in the future. Bam, bam, bam. And you know what her response was? Okay. And that's all there was. But it never happened again mm -hmm. because I could tell by her own behavior, and it was the first time because she is a bully. And it was the first time I saw her squirm. She was uncomfortable because I was calling her out on her own behavior. Now, let's get back to the urban core for a second because you build youth leaders. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I've heard chatter on is that the reason bullying has increased recently is because of the breakdown of the family. And that say students that may have a number of siblings or a number of cousins that are attending the same school wouldn't experience bullying as if that's a way to solve or curb the problem but <laughs> they're saying that if the family was more intact say um, parts of the family didn't move away as much and there were more siblings or more cousins that actually attended the same school we wouldn't have the bullying problems that we do. How would you respond to that? I think those are excuses, they're not reasons. Mm -hmm. I think we've had bullying in school since God invented dirt. <laughs> uh, it, it's, you know, as long as there's been schools, there's been bullying. You know, where two or more are gathered in God's name, there's going to be bullying. Mm -hmm. And, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I think, the issue when it comes to families isn't the number of people that need to be involved. I believe that if one child has one caring adult in their lives that loves them unconditionally, they're going to be okay. In my case, it was a grandmother. She didn't even live in our town. She lived in Omaha, Nebraska, hundreds and hundreds of miles away from me. But I have no doubt she would look at me and I know she thought I was gifted beyond words. I knew she loved me unconditionally and her love carried me and inspired me even in the most difficult of situations. It continues to inspire me now. I think I think the problems that kids bring to school are offshoots of problems that they have at home. Kids that get bullied at school are getting bullied at home. So it's our responsibility to, um, to train kids in how to communicate and how to deal with um, how to deal with conflict situations. We don't show kids how to effectively communicate with one another. And I think we have a responsibility to do that. There's a movie that I love called The Pursuit of Happiness with Will Smith. And in that movie, he's t he tells his son about something, I think it was playing basketball, and he tells his son about being realistic. And he stops himself and he goes back to his son and he said, don't even tell, he said, don't allow anybody to tell you what you can or cannot do, especially if it's your dream. Don't allow anyone to stop you from pursuing what's important to you, not even me. <coughs> Excuse me. So, uh, 
I think that was an important communication lesson between parent and child. I don't think it's the number of adults that's essential. Um, I think what's essential is that there is one child, one adult, that models what, how to be an adult. And that's where schools are important. If a parent or a family member isn't available, then it, uh, then uh, a, a, a teacher and schools can teach. And this is something that isn't really going on in schools now, is how do you deal with bullying? How do you deal, you know, just say no is not an answer. Right. We have to know how to express, how to listen, how to communicate clearly with one another. And I think schools have a real essential element in that. In our urban schools, um, the incidences of fighting, physical fighting, are higher than they are in the suburban counterparts, although that's on the rise in our suburban schools. And I'll say something important about that in a second. Uh, when we tell kids that they cannot fight at school, shake hands and walk away, um, we are often taking away the only tool they know for resolving conflict. Right. So if we're going to take that tool away, we need to empower them with another set of skills to resolve conflict. In the urban school, in the suburban schools, you know, it's interesting that the issues like Columbine, where uh, a, a teenager goes into a school with a gun and starts taking fire at his classmates, I think that's a, oftentimes we often find those shooting instances that happen in middle classes and upper middle class schools. They are rarely happening in the urban core. That. Um, is the result of kids without school, without tools that have finally had it. And so they oftentimes end up doing harm yeah. to themselves. The unthinkable. Or, or something like this, where taking a gun and taking out some of my classmates and myself. If I'm going to go down, I'm going to go down in a blaze of glory. So we've got to equip kids with tools. Now, what all is Dr. Julie involved in right now? Where all can we find her? Dr. Julie, me? Yes. <laughs> me. Oh, wow, what a question. <laughs> well, uh, I do have a blog where I talk about lots of issues that empower adults and young people with the schools they, with the tools they need to be successful on my website at www.drjulieconner.com. And is and, that, is that C-O-N-N-E-R or C-O-N-N-O-R? I am so glad you asked because everybody spells my <laughs> name wrong. Uh, D-R-J-U-L-I-E-C-O-N-N-O-R. Mm -hmm. I'm also the, the author of a goal-setting book, an award-winning goal-setting book called Dreams to Action Trailblazers Guide. And it's packed with tools to help people get clear about their dream and create a plan of action. Uh, when I uh, left a job in the Kansas City, Missouri School District in 2011, I had no idea what to do next. So I read lots of books, I listened to lots of lectures, mm -hmm. and most of those authors and speakers said how they became successful, but they didn't tell me how I could be successful. Mm -hmm. I couldn't find the book that I wanted, so I wrote it. And this is not my story. It's a, a tool that allows others to get clear about their own. So um, I'm out there. And if anybody needs more.
more information, they can go to my website. If you're looking across social media, type in D-R-J-U-L-I-E-C-O-N-N-O-R, Dr. Julie Connor, and you will find me out there. Are you available for workshops and speeches and so forth? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I'm sorry. I can now. There was a, it went, there was dead space, so now there isn't. Go ahead. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Are you available for workshops? I am. I specialize in motivation and inspiration for teens. I've got a TED Talk that uh, particularly with that I redefine what LD means and and that means learns differently and I train youth to be leaders and adults to be mentors and role models so I travel throughout the country inspiring and motivating but most particularly equipping students with the tools they need to be leaders and adults with the tools they need to be mentors and role models. Dr. Julie and I would love to hear from you. Did any of the stories resonate with you? Have you ever been bullied? How did you handle it? Leave all of your feedback in the comment section below and consider joining my email list to get heads up on what episodes are coming up next. You may even get to vote to see who gets interviewed next or win the next t-shirt over at thatanitalive.com.